You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Again, I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. I know uh, it just kind of sometimes I think feels like, wow, uh, is it the end of the year already? Uh, and I know a lot of us just feel like, you know, it just seems like, you know, you kind of hit Thanksgiving and then before you know it, it's the new year and you're kind of like feeling in this fog. Where did the time uh, go? So I hope everybody had a, you know, Merry Christmas. I pray that your new year would be filled again with just God's blessing. I just pray you'll encounter his abundance uh, in all of that. And, and what's interesting is every time this year. Uh, At least half of us, uh, not just in this room, but probably half the people uh, in this country are going to do something that in the very, very beginning will just feel very exhilarating. I mean, you're just going to feel empowered. You're going to be kind of on an emotional high, but in the end, it will kind of turn to just a lot of frustration and disappointment. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, New Year's resolutions. According to the US, uh, USA.gov, the top 10 resolutions that the vast majority of Americans make every New Year's Day are as followed. Number one is lose weight. I mean, that's, that's always my number one every year. It never happens, okay? Number two is manage debt, save money. Uh, number three is to get physically fit, which would, you know, help in number one. But again, uh, number four, eat healthy. Uh, number five, learn something new. Number six, drink less alcohol. I would say drink no alcohol, but that's up to you. Uh, number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, reduce stress. Number nine, take a trip somewhere. And number 10, volunteer to help others. Now again, when you look at that list, these are all great and wonderful, admirable resolutions. The problem is four out of five people who make them will break them. As a matter of fact, one-third of people who make resolutions will not get to the end of January uh, before they break them. And again, which is probably why uh, we need not so much a New Year's resolution, but maybe some of us really need a New Year's revolution. God does have plenty to say about how we can maximize every year he gives us to reach our God-given potential to be what we ought to be, to do what we ought to do, and to become what we ought to become. So the question is, why do people fail in keeping New Year's resolutions? Why is it so many of us come to the end of one year with the same baggage we carried into the year before. And we seem to kind of come to the end of one year and we're no further along in our spiritual lives, our social lives, our physical lives, or our vocational lives than we were the year before. It's almost kind of like the date changes, but the destination doesn't. We're still stuck in the same place. Interestingly, a a psychology professor at Florida State University did a study of this, and he came up with basically two reasons why people basically fail in keeping New Year's resolutions, and the number one was that the resolutions, they're too general. Number two is there's too many resolutions, and so he concluded, he said, studies suggest that willpower is a limited resource. If you make too many resolutions, you won't have enough willpower reserves to stick to all of them. And then this is his conclusion. 
It is better to make one resolution and stick to it than to make five. Now, believe it or not, he's kind of taking right out of the Apostle Paul's playbook that Paul wrote over 2,000 years ago. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would encourage you to open up to Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to remember that Paul's writing this church, this uh, letter to the church in Philippi, he's writing this as he sits in a Roman prison. So as far as Paul knows, I mean, every day could be his last day. And in one sense, every day was a New Year's day for Paul. And there in Philippians 3, he gives us the secret on how to make every new season your best ever, but he begins by making a very candid admission, which is the starting point for making your life better on a daily basis. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and this is what Paul says. Here's his admission. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now what Paul is admitting there is he has not arrived. Paul does not have it all together. Though Paul has done a lot, he's acknowledging there's a lot more to do. Though he's been a lot of places, Paul says, I've still got a lot of places left to go. And though he has reached a lot of his potential, Paul is acknowledging, I have not reached all of my potential. Again, I don't care how old you are, as long as you're drawing breath on this earth, there are always more lessons to learn. There's always more spiritual principles to apply. There's always more room to grow. And Paul gives us, in in this text here, he gives us three simple steps that you can use at the beginning of every season, at the beginning of every month, every year, every week, at the beginning of every day to make that year, that month, that week, that day, the most productive day for you and the most pleasing day to God you can possibly have. And the first step, Paul says, is forget what is behind you. He says in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. The first thing you need to do as you enter into a new season of life is put the old one behind you. Now, Paul is revealing to us a tremendous lesson he himself learned, and that is you can't focus on where you are going until you forget where you've been. So when you read this passage, you realize uh, Paul uses a lot of sports language uh, in his writings. And, And specifically, Paul's kind of incorporating the idea of a race into this passage. And Paul's talking about, you know, straining forward, pressing on, going toward a goal, reaching for a prize. And and again, those are all kind of racing terms. Marathon runner Ryan Hall made this statement regarding racing in a marathon, and he said, just remember as you run, where you've been is not important. What is important is where you are and where you're headed. And that's a true statement, and, and it's also true about life in general. You can't run forward if you're always looking behind you. 
And that's why Paul talked about forgetting those things which are behind. Now again, don't, don't misunderstand what that word forget there means. It doesn't mean you fail to remember. There's no way you can totally erase the past from your memory. The word forget literally means to not be influenced or affected by. Stop and think about that. To not be influenced or to be affected by. See, when God says, for example, I will remember your sins no more, it doesn't mean that God all of a sudden comes up with a bad memory or God develops some kind of spiritual dementia. It simply means once God has forgiven you, he no longer allows your past to influence or affect your relationship to him. That's what that word forget means. I heard about a man who went to see his doctor, and he said, doctor, you've got to help me. And the doctor said, what's wrong? And the man said, I'm suffering from amnesia. What do I do about it? The doctor said, just go home and forget about it. <laughs> Here's what you need to do. As you look back over and kind of reflect on 2017, think about your mistakes Think about your failures. Think about the things you didn't do, things you should have done, things you know that you shouldn't have done, and ask yourself this question. What can I learn from those things, and how can those things make me a better person? Change what you can, change what needs to be changed, and then move on. Do you know how you can really know that you have forgotten what is behind you when you can talk about it? When when you can say, yes, I did fail here, or I did make a mistake there, but here's what I learned from it. Here's why I won't ever repeat that mistake again. This is how God specifically used this in my life to make me a better person. The second step, focus on what is in front of you. Forget what's behind you. Focus on what is in front of you. Listen to verse 13 again. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Two words in there make all the difference in the world, and that is the words, one thing. Paul understood And I think wants us to understand the power that comes in concentrating and focusing on just one thing. Have you ever thought about how important those words are, how powerful those words are in the Bible? You remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked Jesus a very simple question. He said, how can I receive eternal life? And at one point in his response, Jesus says to him, one thing you lack. When Martha was arguing with Mary over what was really important in life, remember Jesus said to Martha, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. David said in Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek. Do you realize Focusing on one thing can yield some tremendous results. 
What was the one thing Paul was seeking? He says in Philippians 2.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for goal is scopus, which means to look at, and it's where we get our word telescope uh, in the English language, and it means a small mark on which your eye is fixed and focused. In other words, Paul said one of the keys to living a productive life is focus. Paul had a one-track mind, but you got to understand his mind was on the right track. And I think oftentimes the reason why so many of us Christ followers can be so ineffective in our Christian life and the reason why so many churches can be ineffective in their mission is because they are involved in many things and really don't concentrate on the one thing God is calling them to be and to do. I mean, I hear people say all the time, that they'll say things like, you know, I would just love to serve in our church. I'd love to volunteer more in the community. I would love to be a member, to be more active, but I've got too many irons in the fire. And sometimes I just feel like saying to them, either pull out some of your irons or put out the fire because you can't keep going at that rate. And again, too many of us carry shotguns around firing buckshot everywhere when we ought to be carrying a rifle shooting a bullet at one target. And anyone knows that concentration, it is the, it is the secret of power. Again, if you take a river and make that river flow in just one direction and one direction only and not overflow its banks, it can become a tremendous source of energy. If you take light and you concentrate that light down, its power can make a laser that can cut through steel. And so Paul says, set the right goals in life and not very many of them, and then build your life around reaching those goals or that goal. The key is making sure you set at least one goal that is right. I heard about a football coach who was trying to teach his six-year-old son how to become a place kicker. First day, he got down on his knees, put the ball down, looked at his son, and said, when I nod my head, kick it. And that's how he lost his front two teeth. (laughs) So focusing on one thing, especially when it is the right thing, folks, it can be a powerful thing. Yet, focusing on one thing or just a few things can be dangerous if it's the wrong things. When we focus on the wrong things or things, it leads to a problem that we all have to deal with to one degree or another, and it is a problem we call worry and anxiety. In the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the universe, the Sermon on the Mount, the single longest section of that message Jesus gives deals with worry and anxiety. And there's a reason for that. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious or do not worry about your life. I find it amazing that Jesus is pointing out and he's telling us people worried about some of the same things you and I worry about today. He says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, 
What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, particularly here in America, we don't normally, at least I don't run into a lot of people who normally worry about something to eat or drink or wear. I know there are people out there uh, who struggle, and I'm not denying that there are some hungry uh, children and perhaps adults Uh, in the country, but really, when was the last time you literally heard of someone starving to death in America? I mean, we've really kind of just changed the terminology. I mean, we still worry about life. We just worry about different things pertaining to life. We worry about mortgage payments, having a job, health insurance, and paying for college. In other words, a lot of us really worry about things that are centered around finances, See, poor people worry they don't have any money, and rich people worry they don't have enough. Poor people spend their life looking for money, and rich people spend their life storing up money. And Jesus does mention something in verse 25 that people worried about 2,000 years ago and still worry about today, and that is our body. See, every one of us is born with this self-consciousness of how they look and how they appear to others. See, you just thought it was you. All of us kind of struggle with that to various degrees, how we appear, how we look to others. Paul Harvey once told of a man he knew who put braces on his false teeth just so he would look younger. There's one thing in particular that all of us in this room worry about, think about, stays on our mind, it plays on our mind, and that is we worry about the future. Which is why Jesus concludes the message with this lesson in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be worried about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It kind of comes (laughs) pre-programmed is what he's saying the sufficient for the day is its own troubles. In other words, you've got enough to think about today without starting to think about tomorrow. Again, we allowed the clouds of tomorrow to cover up the sunshine of today. And if you want to live a life that is unproductive, if you want to live a life that is unhappy, you just spend it doing one thing that is totally unnecessary, and Jesus says that is to worry or to be anxious Now, Jesus in his message does us all a big favor. He evaluates the reasons why we worry, why we're anxious. And he's determined to put a stop to it. That is why three times in this passage, in verse 25, again in verse 31, and then again in verse 34, he repeats a phrase, therefore, do not be anxious. He wants to make sure that you're getting the message Now, the Greek word for anxious, or what we would call worry, is a combination of two smaller words. One word means to divide, and the other word means the mind. So what Paul's saying is worry is to have a divided mind. There's a phenomenon today that we call multitasking, and if we're all honest, we know that when you multitask, you're probably not doing any one thing very well. Most of us try to talk to someone on our cell phone, we're messaging another person on our computer, and then we're working on something on our desk all at the same time. How do I know this? I do this. (laughs) 
And it doesn't work very well. And again, Paul's saying a divided mind always leads to diminished performance. So how do you stop worrying? Well, I'll tell you one thing that doesn't work. Have you ever been worried about something and somebody says to you, well, quit worrying about that? Has it ever helped you? Has it ever made you feel better? No, when I'm worried about something and someone finds out and they tell me to quit worrying, it makes me worry about them. Jesus does something, though, here that is just unbelievable. He does something that no other psychologist would ever have thought about saying or recommending. And he says, one of the ways to quit worrying is this, become a bird watcher. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I know Janie thinks I'm going to launch into uh, my bird watching stuff. I'm not. But let me just ask you this. Have you ever seen a stressed out bird? Have you ever seen a bird pacing on a limb back and forth, worrying, anxious about what he's going to eat? Now again, in the whole history of bird watching, I don't think there has ever been a bird that has been diagnosed with hypertension, high blood pressure, or stress-induced related issues. And Jesus is saying to us, we need to take a lesson. We need to learn a lesson from birds. They fly, they chirp, they build nests, but they do not worry. They don't know that they have a God in heaven who takes care of them, but you know what? We do. We should know that. So there's a lot you can learn from birds about what not to do. And then Jesus kind of takes us from bird watching and he brings us over into math in verse 27. And he says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? He's just saying you don't add one thing to your life when you start worrying. You wish you weren't so short. Worrying is not going to make you taller. You wish you weren't overweight. Worrying won't make you skinnier. You wish you had more time. Worrying is not going to add any more minutes or hours to your day. Worrying never solved a problem. It never dried a tear, never lifted a burden, and it never has removed an obstacle. Worry has never made a bad thing good or a good thing better. Someone once said, worrying is like shoveling smoke. You're not any better off when you are done than when you were started. So if you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to just basically write down two statements. There are two things you should never, ever worry about. The first one is never worry about the things you can change. Now that makes sense, right? If you're worried about something you can change instead of worrying about it, change it. Okay? Second thing is, never worry about things you can't change. Okay? And again, that makes sense. Worrying is not going to change anything you can't change. And if you can't change it, why worry about it? Except for the things you can change and the things you can't change, you're free to worry about anything else. So in that spirit, I'm kind of asking everyone in our church over the next 12 months during 2018, I would like for you to consider one thing. 
okay? If it's the only thing you accomplish spiritually this year, then make sure you accomplish this one thing. And the reason I'm so convinced about this one thing is because I know if you'll do this one thing, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and move in your heart to do many other things that are going to be helpful to you, a blessing to others, and ultimately pleasing to God. And we've been talking about this for the last few months, and that is, again, our Bible reading plan. Each month as a congregation, we are striving together to read um, a chapter each day from the Bible, uh, and then we're, we're encouraging you to journal uh, on what we've read, how God is speaking to us, and for the month of January, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And I'm going to be doing kind of a series that's going to kind of be revolving around aspects of the book of Acts. And, and inside your worship uh, folder this morning, uh, you'll see an insert there, and it's kind of, again, listing uh, the dates and chapters of Acts to be read each day for the month of January. And every month throughout 2018, we'll have a new card listing new chapters to read each month. Now, if you're here this morning... And you do not have a Bible. We have complimentary Bibles. If you do not have a journal, we've got complimentary journals right out there at the Welcome Center. You can pick, you know, just stop by, pick one up, or you can uh, talk to any one of us pastors, and we'd be more than happy uh, to get you um, those as well. Again, I'm absolutely convinced the greatest single thing we can do on a daily basis is, again, just setting aside time and trying to hear um, God speak to us through his word. There is nothing that's going to feed your spirit, nothing that's going to encourage your heart more, nothing that's going to motivate you to live for Jesus um, and, and develop in you a love for God than just spending time with God in his word. And so I'm going to ask you uh, to just make that your one thing. Now, some of you may have, you know, kind of started way back in September when we introduced this, and somewhere along the way you've kind of gotten off track, uh, or you've kind of just gotten caught up in the frenzy of Christmas, and, and, and that's just kind of gone to the sideline. Again, this is just a new day, you know, uh, uh, and, and just make a new commitment, you know, that starting tomorrow, I'm going to be in Acts chapter uh, one, and, and just make that your focus starting off the new year, and just ask God to help make you faithful in that uh, throughout the year. I promise you, it will make um, a difference. Um, third step is just, um, again, forgetting what is behind you, Focus on what is in front of you. And the third step is fulfill what is ahead of you. Now, two times in verse 12 and once in verse 14, Paul says this, I press on. And that, that is, those are three very, very important words. No matter what happens, he doesn't quit, he doesn't give up. Paul just simply says, I press on. For some of you who think maybe reading your Bible on a daily basis is too daunting of a task, too big of a challenge, you don't like to read or you don't understand it, I want you just to take all of those excuses and I want you just to write one word across all of that and that is the word determination. That's what Paul means when he says, I press on. I am determined to keep going, 
You've got to make a point of pressing on on a daily basis saying, today, if I don't get anything else done, this one thing I will do. And again, that is where a lot of people in today's culture and mindset have a problem. Many people in this culture and today, they, they kind of have been raised to view success as something that ought to be easy. Success is something that just ought to come quickly. And we're, we live in a generation and a culture that does not know a lot about determination, about pressing on, perseverance, endurance. We have the attitude today that when the boss gets unreasonable, you quit. When the subject gets too difficult, you drop out of the class. When the marriage gets unbearable, you get a divorce. That's our culture today. I'm asking you today to take a totally different approach, a totally different tactic. I'm asking you today to say this one thing I'm going to do. This one thing I have never done, I'm going to do it this year. This one thing I never thought I could do, I am going to do it this year. This one thing the devil does not want me to do, this is the one thing I am determined with God's help to do. And again, that's what the Lord's Supper, communion, is all about. One thing, Jesus Christ and his death which paid for and atoned for our sins. One thing made it possible for you and I to go to heaven, to be restored in a relationship with our heavenly Father, and that was Jesus Christ's sacrifice upon the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his gift of eternal life. And one thing makes that a reality for us, and that is our faith in him as Lord and Savior. One thing is more important than anything else, and that is to go into 2018 knowing you are right with God, knowing that when you leave this planet, one thing will have been accomplished, and that is your eternal destiny with him forever. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, as we just come to the threshold of a new year, Father, we just pray, Lord, that as we reflect over 2017, that, God, we will be able to maybe reflect on those things, those mistakes, those failures, God, as well as, again, our successes, our accomplishments, that, God, we would be able to look at, at all of that, that, God, you would help us to learn what needs to be learned to let go of what needs to be let go of, to hold on to those things that need to be held on to, and then moving forward into a new year. And Father, again, as we saw in the word, again, those two words, one thing, Father, again, we see the power and the potential of those two words. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us, like you gave to David, a heart, Lord, that would just be seeking after that one thing. That, God, whatever that one thing may be, that, God, that would just kind of capture our hearts. That, God, it would, it would just resonate within us. That, God, we would know what that one thing is that you're calling us to do. And, God, knowing that you will give us the power and the ability to be able to fulfill the one thing you're calling us to so, Father, we just, again, we pray, 
Lord, that you would just illuminate that within our hearts and our spirits. That, God, you would help us to let go of whatever things would keep us, those things in our past that would keep us from moving forward. That, God, you would help just break those chains. That, God, you would help, Lord, just to uh, sever those ties that would try to keep us held back and tied up in those places. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you're going to help us as we enter into a new year to come into this, Lord, with a sense of a new vision, a new calling, a new destiny, a new determination, a new sense of of endurance, a new sense of empowerment, and that, God, we are committed to following after you, to hearing your voice, and, Father, just to doing what it is that you've called us to do, to be obedient. So, Father, we just, again, we thank you for this new year which is upon us. And, Father, we pray, Lord, that this would be your year, our year in you to do great and mighty things. And so, Father, we just commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves into this new year. And we just thank you, Lord, for the things that you have planned for us, that, Lord, are gonna bring glory to you, that, God, are gonna further your kingdom. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.